Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is June 12th, 2017, and this is episode 205. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. On today's show, we'll examine our feelings and measure our grip on reality. We'll also explore the darkest of dark timelines. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Scotty. What's your drink of the week? Jake, uh, in, uh, you know how I like themes. So, Jake, I decided to uh, pound down a Manhattan this evening because we certainly got pounded this weekend in Manhattan. Yikes. <laughs> See, you went with a theme and went that way. Yes. I am drinking shame okay. as we drank shame all weekend. Oh, so you're doing something as a theme. I am. I am indeed. I, I like good shtick. What can I tell you? I am drinking a Traveler Grapefruit Shandy. And uh, if you know anything about me and know that I hated their uh, pumpkin whatever, don't worry. Things are in good keeping. I also hate their grapefruit shandy, which is saying something because I love me some grapefruit and beer. But shandies, not really. Eh, on a hot day, shandies are fine. Okay. If you are interested in what I am ashamed to drink and what Scotty is proud to drink, please get social with us on Untapped. You can share your drink of the week with us. I'm at Jake E 4025 and I'm at MAGN 8606. And with that, it's time for a checkup. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heart and fix you up ready to go. There is no giggling. No, it didn't really tickle a little this week. Can I just tell you, I think it's hilarious that people tweeted us when something goes bad and say, there's no giggling. There's no giggling right now. Um, all right. So there is a, a plethora of issues is the best way to put it this week. Um, Manny Machado, day to day, he is back in the lineup on Monday evening, but still has some tenderness in that wrist. How many bean balls resulted in Manny Machado being injured by a slide? Zero. What? But the Ravens will headhunt the uh, Steelers later this season. I want blood. I'm a baseball fan. I Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the other one that was a little bit more surprising to, uh, I think, everybody was the Darren O'Day 10-day DL. I'm fine. I'm fine. Ow, ow, ow. Yeah. The thing that surprises me most is he was doing so well, and then all of a sudden the DL stint hits, hits, and you're just like, where the heck did that come from? He looks so good. And then all of a sudden he just gets put on the DL. Um kind of a complete shock and surprise to all of us i think personally yeah absolutely i mean you know there was no there's no indication that something's wrong usually you're looking for an excuse sure when when he's hurt and not going right to right. get him off the team this is not one of those cases yeah um zach burton uh threw a 25 uh pitch bullpen session 
Um, he's expected to throw a 35 pitch session today. Um, I haven't seen any word back from the beat writers about that yet, which means that his arm has not fallen off. And I choose to accept that as good news yet, but we will, we will see what happens and go, go from there. Um, also with, with Zach Britton throwing, I have not seen Ryan Flaherty, which I believe means that he's hooked up to the machine a la the princess bride. They are sucking the life out of him and pumping it into Zach Britton. And of course there's always Anthony Santander. <laughs> That's true. Also maybe fuel for, uh, for Zach Britton's, uh, rebirth, which is fine with me. <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah, not a great week in the medical wing. I'll tell you what, which one would, do you think was more, um, disastrous to the Orioles during this stretch? Was it the Darren O'Day injury or do you think it was the Manny Machado injury? Um, I think when your bullpen doesn't matter in certain games, uh, it's hard to say that the bullpen, I, I think just the, the emotional hit of seeing Manny leave a game with an injury. Sure. And then not see him back the next day. Yeah. That, oof, that's not good. Well, you may have to get used to that. Ouch. Ouch. Let's go to 140 characters less this week on the Twitters. This week on the Twitters. You know, here's the thing. It's one thing to get frustrated and say that somebody sucks. But what the Orioles have to do is they have to look and say something is wrong. What is it? And can we fix it? And that leads me into a treat, tw- into a tweet, a treat of a tweet, a treat of a tweet <laughs> from Avi Miller, who uh, showed a side by side screenshot of uh, Chris Tillman pitching uh, last year and this year. And you can just look at the arm angle. The tweet is as follows. He, of course, tweets at Avi Miller. Uh, Chris Tillman before and after shoulder trouble. External rotation changes allude to one of the multiple mechanical concerns. It's an it's an interesting look. Look, obviously something is not right, and the question is, what is it, and can it be fixed, or do you just have to deal? So, is it hard A or soft A? Because I thought it was it was Avi or is it Ave? I, I read it, man. I I just work here. Someone tell us this, okay? We just need to know. Um, maybe Mr. Miller himself. Yes, maybe. Uh, this may not be the text they want, but it's the text they need. This tweet comes from. Tom Jones at Steel Beru. Ah, uh, is that Tom or is it Tome? Uh, I'm going to have to have them him tweet back to us as well. The tweet goes as follows: Dong, daughter. Now uh, he's responding. Now, dad. Nobody calls to that wife. We don't want text messages about dongs at Bird's Eye View BAL. Look, I think we all want text messages about dongs. I love that you chose to intone that tweet as if it were part of slam poetry. I appreciate that about dong. you. Dong. Those were the good old days. Our next tweet comes from Orioles fans problems at Orioles fan probs. So maybe Alec Asher, a non-prospect the Orioles acquired in exchange for cash, is not the answer to our rotation problems. Look, I'm going to give Orioles fan probs a little bit of beef here because six days prior to this tweet coming out, he had called out that Alec Asher was going to be the next Sal Young. So we have to get it together, Orioles fans. It can only be one thing or the other. I'm just saying he's not wrong. He's not wrong. So, Jake, let me ask you this question. Um, was this an unintentional tweet or a brilliant tweet? And it comes from at Camden Chat. An AARP-sponsored getting-to-know-you segment just focused on J.J. Hardy, which seems a little mean, honestly. I think it was both intentional and good-humored for anybody paying attention. Of course, I didn't see it because I listened to the radio, but I choose to believe that it was intentional and fun. And lastly, on the Twitters, uh, we want to give a shout out to Ryan Wagner, of course, at rwag614, who tweeted out as follows, 
after one of the wins against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So my future father-in-law is a huge Pittsburgh fan. Thought I'd earn some brownie points by getting him tickets to the game tonight with a animated gif of oops. And let me just tell you, if you play your cards right, this will hopefully be a memory to awkwardly avoid at the Thanksgiving dinner table for years to come. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. Uh, Jake, uh, there wasn't a lot of well wishes going back and forth this past weekend, and, and uh, Orioles Twitter decided to explode in the process. I think it's time for us to gather the facts once again and figure out what the heck are we going to do with the rest of the season. Scott, so you're right and you're wrong. Orioles Twitter was as bad as my Shandy, but I will say that the Orioles Twitter was proportionally bad to the way the Orioles performed in New York. Interesting. Now, it's easy to take a series like the one the Orioles just endured in New New York and respond emotionally, but there are a lot of ways to look at this Orioles 2017 campaign. I hate absolutes i absolutely hate absolutes scott but i really feel like one of the following things must be true right okay the one the orioles have played 61 games truth (laughs) and we know enough about this team to reasonably predict what will happen from here on out Mm, right or two the orioles have played 61 games truth again yeah we're really good at this yeah and we do not know enough about what's going on to reasonably predict what will go on. So, you know, we have to tackle this first question before going any further with conclusions about the season. Scotty, what do we know? Do we know enough so far to be able to reasonably predict how things are going to go? We know um, a good portion of what this team is going to be um, for the rest of 2017, but we don't know the entire picture as has been shown um, from years past is the best way to describe it. The question is, out of the conclusions that we have made to date, um, which ones can stand with their own merit and which ones are uh, wacky, waving, inflatable arms, basically making wild accusations over watching three games. Jake, we came out of that Pittsburgh series thinking to ourselves, oh, you know, the season is about to get really good. In fact, Andrew Stetka even posted on Utah Street Report saying, you know, I'm tired of hearing momentum as the next day starting pitcher. This is a team that is about to go on a hot run. And they did nothing of the sort, Andrew. They were, they were hot garbage. <laughs> There's a difference. There's a difference. So, unfortunately, it really was the aspect of um, the team is only as good as the next day's starter. And, unfortunately, the next day starter for the past four games has been absolutely horrible. And, but let's just take a look. Look, May was awful, right? May and, was awful. And, and Charlie and I were drinking bleach yes. a couple episodes ago. Because where, where did that start, by the way? Because everyone says, are you drinking bleach? Where, is What kind of pop culture witticism is that? I'm not sure it's witty. All right. It came out of my mouth. Couldn't have been funny. All right. I'll try to track that down while you're talking during this episode. But all of May, bad, right? But then let's look at what happened afterwards. The Red Sox series was, I'm going to say that was pretty okay. Right, they yeah. lost two games against Sale and David Price. I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. And then 
uh, a really ugly game against the Nats. And while we're on that subject, did you see some of the comments from uh, the Nats uh, GM Rizzo? Oh yeah, about the Orioles and basically saying to to Buck Showalter to stop whining about it because they kicked their blinkity blinkity bleak out of uh, Washington. Some interesting comments. We'll uh, we'll we'll put them in the show notes if you haven't had the opportunity to read them from the Four Letter Network. Um, so we lost the game in Washington. Okay, no big deal. And then a really embarrassing uh, weekend in New York. But also in that split or in that stretch, two really fun games in Pittsburgh. Right. Well, in, in Baltimore. Or in Baltimore Pittsburgh. against Pittsburgh. But yeah. yes, you're absolutely right. Two uh, great games where the Orioles. Um, kind of came back from behind and basically showed some Orioles magic is yeah. the best way to describe and it. You can look at it one of two ways, right? You can either say, oh, well, they were behind. They shouldn't have won those games anyway because I hate fun. and rah, 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 rah. Or you can say, wow, those were really fun games to watch. Right. More and, importantly, we, this is the kind of games that we as fans have pointed to in the past and previous seasons saying, that's Orioles magic. The team needs to be able to do more of that mm-hmm. often in order to compete. Um, and we've pointed to seasons where there wasn't that Orioles magic, where those clutch hits or those game-winning hits um, that we said, you know what, the Orioles are managing to hang around there, but they don't have that it factor that you want from a winning team. You know, when we talk about where we are in this season and where we're trying to go, I think you just used an interesting word, which was if the Orioles are going to succeed. Yes. Right? And uh, I think that it would help us frame the discussion about what it takes for the Orioles to succeed, if we can at least acknowledge that many of us are probably dealing with different definitions of what the Orioles need to succeed. That's a good point. Right? Because you can define it lots of ways. First of all, it can be a great season if we enjoy watching the games. Yes. Right? And believe me, there have been plenty of seasons where we have not enjoyed watching this. This comes back to season one of Bird's Eye View in 2012 when we just said, we want to see competitive baseball in August. Right. If September happens, great. But we just want to see competitive baseball in August. And if we get to September, we're still playing competitive baseball. Awesome. And to a certain regard, I think people forget how lousy it is to be in the dog days of summer and not have anything to watch of interest. And and from there, you can just keep going up. People will say, well, it's only a good season if we're above 500. Well, it's it's a good season if we almost make the playoffs, right? Competitive games in, in September. Sure. It, it's only a good season if we make the playoffs or go deep into it by, you know, the ALCS or sure. get to the World Series or win the World Series. And I think when you look— And I think coming back to that point, there are some people out there saying the Orioles have had the um, best record in the AL uh, for the past five years, um, but unless they come out with a championship— um, this team and this era of Orioles baseball will not be looked at fondly. And we've had this conversation about like 1997 before of, hey, why isn't the team in 96 and 97 held in higher regard? Um, and, you know, your point was, well, they didn't win a championship, so people don't like to look back on that. But, eh. L- let me uh Let me bear for you my version of success, and you sure. can tell me how you feel. Sure. <clears throat> I feel that with the the end of the window staring us in the face, yes, and we can all debate where we think that window ends, but it's coming, right? Mm-hmm. Sooner than later, it's coming. Before another tear down and rebuild of who knows how many years, I want to know that this team can legitimately make the playoffs and therefore have a chance. Sure. And when I say legitimately make the playoffs, I don't mean sneak in by the skin of their teeth knowing that they've only got a game or two before their ancient history. I want in the next two years, which is when I think things end rather abruptly and ugly, I want to know that this team can at least make one good 2014-esque 
playoff run. Does that mean that they need to necessarily win 96 games? No, but it means that when the playoffs start, I need to go in feeling pumped about my squad. Okay. And so when I see games like this weekend, sure, that doesn't resemble a, a team that can do that. Does it mean that this this season is over because they've had a, a lousy month and a half? No, but it is harder to feel good about the team thinking that they can be a team like I just described at the end. Sure. So I can understand the frustration and I won't say how close to the ledge I am. Right. But for me, that defines what a successful 2017 or 2018 campaign is. But I will say that the the, the less uh, sand there is, less orange uh, sand there is in the hourglass, the tougher it is to take long stretches of bad baseball because it just feels like a precursor for the rebuild. Sure. I, the other part that I come back to is, and maybe this is the realist to me being the more statistician of it, is coming into this season, I basically said, you know, there's a chance the Orioles could get to the playoffs, but everything would have to um, lie perfect in order for them to get it. They're going to have to have success from Kevin Gossman. They're going to have to have everyone stay kind of healthy. And we've not seen that. We've had Chris Tillman come off, obviously showing uh, potential shoulder issues, uh, reduced velocity. Kevin Gossman has been absolutely uh, abysmal, is the best way to put it. Dylan Bundy has kind of floated that role for him, so we can maybe make a swap there. Abaldonis has not displayed any form of the second half that he did um, in 2016. He's gone back to being the dumpster fire. Wade Miley has been eh at best, um, putting on a lot of walks and hits and managing to scrape by you know, and keep their team somewhat competitive. But still only has two wins with three losses. So again, it's not like he's, you know, dominating out there. Um, you've got a lot, and it, that's not even include the bullpen. The bullpen has had injuries galore of Burton being out for a prolonged period of time, Darren O'Day being out for a prolonged period of time, um, depth issues now being an issue with, you know, the Norfolk shuttle being used constantly, um, bringing in players that we've never even heard of that are even not in the prospect list. Uh, Everything that needed to break for the Orioles has not really happened. There's only been a few good things that have happened, namely being Trey Mancini and Dylan Bundy. Manny Machado is not playing the way that it's expected to be. But you look at the numbers of certain players and you think to yourself, man, if the Orioles can stay close, they could still get there for a playoff spot. Even coming out of this this series, the Orioles are right there um, for a second wild card spot, and I'm not saying you want that second wild card spot. We saw what happened when that happened last year, but I can't think of a single log- logical fan or realistic fan that came into the season saying, "Yeah, we're going to win the division, hands down, no question about it." Anyone that thought we had a chance to win the division thought that it's going to come down to the last week. This notion that the Orioles should be blowing out other teams in the division and um, putting games upon games upon games behind them is illogical at best. This team, as I've said at the beginning of the season, is a mid-80s win team. And you know what? We will see if that's good enough. Um, I I think, to a certain regard, they're not as bad as they are currently. Um, they weren't as good as they were in April. But I still think this team is going to be somewhere in that you know 82 to 89 win mark. And we'll see if that's good enough for a second wildcard spot. Me personally, looking at the rest of AL... I think it's going to be good enough for a second wild card spot. It does seem nice that the Orioles are having just this tragically hit the iceberg, taking on water series of, 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 of series, basically. And they're not that far out of it. You know what I mean? They're, they're not 
falling desperately out of contention here in June. That that does I mean, make me th- feel better. This happened before with the uh, 2014 Royals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. hate to mention that team, but I remember talking that season, and we got to the 2014 deadline, and I said it would make a ton of sense right now for the Royals to start trading players because they're right hovering around 500. They're probably not good enough to get into a playoff spot. And lo and behold, they won it on an absolute tear for the rest of the second half of the season, and they managed to get into the playoffs. And look what happened when they got in the playoffs. They were able to rely on it and basically you know, get uh, deep into the playoffs, get to the World Series on the strength of their bullpen and on good defense. Do the Orioles have a, as good of a bullpen and as good of a defense as the Royals? No. But anything can happen um, in such a long season. And my other point is, if you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. For example, the Toronto Blue Jays last year were a wildcard team. They got to the ALCS last year. They were that close to going to the World Series. And as much as we don't want to put the emphasis on we don't want to be a wildcard team, just getting in the dance affords you the opportunity to potentially go and play for a pennant. You're not going to weasel out of this. That's fine. I gave my definition of success. Scotty, what's your definition of success? My definition of success is um, if they are able to get to the playoffs, it's a successful season. If they fall just short, I would be disappointed. Um, But my definition of success always is get into the playoffs. Whatever happens in the playoffs, it's a complete wild card. We've seen number one seeds fall um, in the ALDS series. Get into the playoffs. See what happens. See if everyone gets hot at the right time. If you do, magic can happen. Let me ask an ugly question here. Sure. Whatever we define as success, you and I just gave our definition. Sure. Don't we then have to look beyond that success and say <clears throat> to ourselves, are the Orioles capable of succeeding in 2017? Mm. Right? Do they have what they need? And if not, do they have the assets to go get what they need to compete, to succeed in whatever you define it is sure. in 2017? Okay, yes or no. Then... Do the Orioles have what they need to succeed in 2018? Sure. And, you know, do they have what they need or can they go, do they have the assets to go get what they need? Right. And then I would argue, if the answer to both of those questions is no, what are we doing here? Right. Like, isn't the time now? Sure. At maybe the trade deadline? Right. To start looking beyond that window? and Because the team is in win now. Yeah. Right. And if they're getting their brains beat in at, and win now, sure, it's a lot harder to to stomach than a team that is, you know, looking ahead, getting their brain speed in. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. But the other aspect I would point out, too, is it's not like the trade deadline is happening next week. Mm-hmm. We've got weeks to go is the best way to describe it. So you don't have to make this decision right now and say, let's blow up everything. You can wait um, several weeks before you make this determination. And do I think the Orioles are a complete team right now? Heck no. There are a lot of gaps available um, and there are certain things that the Orioles need to basically because the Yankees found all of the gaps this weekend. Yeah, womp womp womp. Like I said, I still think the Orioles would do really great of going out and getting a uh, upper end bullpen arm, and I realize it's going to cost them a lot. Sure, um, but I think in in terms of the inherent value that it's going to bring in terms of um, allowing Buck to go in the sixth inning out to get a get a start and be like, you know what, I really don't want you starting the six. I will basically want you going to 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth with my relief pitchers. And going from there, I think that affords you some greater flexibility, especially in tight games. So I don't think the Orioles are that far off from potentially competing for a wildcard spot. I don't think they're going to be a division player, but I think they can be a wildcard spot. Sure. And the question is, how much do you basically throw out of your farm system right now to go for a wildcard spot again? 
And my opinion is you throw everything out. Yeah, damn the torpedoes. It's yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, the question also comes down to is can the Yankees continue this pace that they're on right oh now? Oh, my gosh. Right? I mean, yeah, they're a, they're a hot and electric and fun team to watch right now. But just as the Orioles are never as good as they look when they are going good and never as bad as they look when they're going bad, I mean, isn't it safe to say that the Yankees cannot technically go on such a meteoric, uh, meteoric uh, upward spike all season? Can I just say that I was thinking about this, and it pains me to say this, but the Yankees are playing baseball just like the second half of 2014 Orioles did, where they had um, pretty decent pitching, but absolutely were demolishing the ball offensively, and that's exactly what they're doing. I realize Aaron Judge is crushing balls to the moon, but it's not just Aaron Judge. You've got Starlin Castro, you've got Aaron Hicks, um, you've got Brett Gardner. Everybody is clicking on that team right now at once, and I went into that series Someone told me at work, and they're like, hey, who are the Orioles playing? And I said, they're playing the Yankees. And they're like, oh, well, how do you think they're going to do it? I was like, I honestly think that if they win one game this weekend, it's going to be lucky. And they're like, he's like, why are you so negative? And I'm like, they're on fire right now. And when a team is that good, it's going to be almost impossible for them to be beat. It's similar to the Astros, for example. The Astros were red hot. And when the Orioles got swept by them, I was just like, I'm not surprised that that happened because it's such a good team at the right time. And eventually the Orioles are going to play a good team and be like, oh, we caught advantage of them when they were at a bad moment. The Orioles just haven't had that against some perennial top players. But even coming out of the series, I pointed out, the Orioles lost three games to the Yankees. But in, on the season series, they're 5-7 and seven against the New York Yankees, which means that you still have seven games to go, which means that you could easily come back and equal, equal the series out. Um, I, I don't think it's a situation where the Yankees have the Orioles number the Orioles have done very well against the Yankees at home. I, I think this is just going to be one of those situations where, similar to what it was in 2012, it's going to be just competitive baseball against the Orioles and Yankees once again. I have to give a shout-out to a friend. Sure. I got into work. I was pretty grumpy about the way this the weekend went, baseball and not. And a buddy of mine, his name is Anthony, comes over to my office and he says, you know, the weird thing is now, when I hear the 27 Yankees, I think they're talking about the score. <laughs> <laughs> i was like all right you know what now i feel better about things but scott that's what it's all about it's all about feeling better about things i tell you what we've been talking about how things are now and how things might look in the future why don't you and i try to maybe look to the future in a way that that will fill us with cheer All right, so Jake, we uh, wanted to talk about um, the future and how it could fill us with cheer. But Jake, I'm not really feeling cheerful right now. It's just not how this this season's rolling. It's not how this season's rolling, and it's not how this podcast works. So uh, this uh, segment is sponsored by Orioles Facebook. We are going (laughs) to go into the darkest of timelines. So we've actually talked about this before. Uh, We gave consideration of, let's say hypothetically, the Orioles are wholesale traders at the trade deadline, and they've got to basically— blow up the entire team, and uh, start from scratch. What would um, the roster for the Baltimore Orioles look like uh, going forward for the rest of the season? Scotty, I'm going to give you my methodology. Okay. 
and and then I would be happy to to walk with you. Do you want to maybe go by position by position? Because each of us have prepared a, a roster. Correct? Yes, that is correct. Now Scott and I both uh, prepared a a one through nine. Yep. With each of us picked two starters and two relievers, and then I think we have a couple of surprises here along the yes, way. Yes, that is correct. So Scotty, my methodology is as follows. Yes. Uh, I know a thing or two about following bad Orioles teams that are trying to compete or to trying to rebuild. Yes. So uh, what I have decided is that in my world, the Orioles have blown up their squad. They've traded away every useful piece that they can, and they are, are just trying to build up the miners. All right. And so in the meantime, they have put together the squad, the best squad that they can. But rather than just picking anybody, they want to be able to throw a few bones to the fans, right? To put some butts in seats in an entertaining way that might tug at the heartstrings. Mm-hmm. So you may notice a theme from my roster. So uh, if I may, can I recommend that we start in left field? Sure. Uh, Scott Magnus, my left fielder, uh, your starting left fielder for the Baltimore Orioles in 2018 is as follows. Nolan Reimold. Ooh. Uh, so Jake, uh, my left fielder. For the rest of the season, uh, we're going to go back to some Orioles magic from back in the day. We're going to go down to the Dominican, and we're going to pick up Delman Young <laughs> via valet parking and bring him back to the Baltimore Orioles because everyone loves to see doubles that get game winners. The legend of Delman Young yes. in the season that doesn't matter sure. continues. All right, let's skip over to center field. Scott, my team needs some speed. Oh, okay. All right. I need a guy who is faster than the rain. Yep. I'm going with old Orioles uh, farmhand, Xavier Avery. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, for center field, I needed um, a grit and veteran after I basically got rid of Adam Jones. Of course, I had to go with Brady Anderson at center field because Brady, of course, likes to insert himself any way that easy, he can easy now. <laughs> into the organization. So Brady Anderson literally is making the greatest sacrifice in the world and saying, I'm going to go back and play center field for the Baltimore Orioles. Dude, you blew it. He likes to inject himself. <laughs> in the All right. I'm going to go over to right field. And Scott, okay. This is just, just to recapture the memories. Okay. And frankly, we would need a video highlight to introduce this player. Sure. Produced by some friends of ours. All right. I have gone into the right field Ooh. and I am plucking Nate McLeod. Nate McLeod. All right. So I thought about who I was going to put in right field. And I thought to myself, who would Dan Duquette love to bring into the Baltimore Orioles? And I thought to myself, he would know, want no one better than to bring Manny Ramirez back from Japan's <laughs> minor league baseball back to the Baltimore Orioles to see if he could still do pretty well against major league baseball pitching. Not to mention, we've put anybody out there in right field to play the outfield. Why not put Manny out there to field against the big scoreboard wall to see how well he would do? I, by the way, love how athletic your outfield is. With <laughs> we Delman, got Brady. With Delman Young <laughs> and Manny Ramirez in the corners. We can, got Brady. Brady can cover all of it, okay? Can we move to the infield? Sure. Now, in my in my introduction, I mentioned all of the pieces possible that they could move. So my starting first baseman next year. Oh, okay. Chris Davis, because you cannot move that, that contract for anything. See, that's a good one. Uh, I actually... I would point out... The Chris Davis I envision, no less disappointing than the rest of my team. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so I actually went with Mark Reynolds because the Orioles are going to have to go and get someone pretty decent. 
um, to actually bring butts into the seat. Mark Reynolds, by the way, the, so far this season, 139 weighted runs created plus. If if anybody can fix that, it's the Orioles. Yeah, so he is um, your uh, Orioles all-star for this year when the Orioles trade for him. Uh, so second base. Yes. The key defensive position, I believe, of my team that I am putting together. Okay. I'm going to bring back Steve Pierce Ooh. to play second base. Love it. Uh, so at second base, I actually have Machado at second base. But that's not how this works. Uh, oh, I mean Dixon Machado, actually, from the <laughs> uh, from the Detroit Tigers. Um, so Dixon Machado is going to be playing second base. You're mean to me, Scott. You're mean to me. <laughs> All right. I'm going to switch over to shortstop yes uh and here's the thing yes we need entertainment value yeah on this team and if if anybody ever gets on base scott sure. it needs to be a story yeah and there needs to be a time in which we can play the benny hill theme Ooh. i'm looking for toot blonde and so i have re-signed alexi casilla Ooh, to play shortstop that's a good one see i went with we have to embrace the future to a certain regard uh-huh, so we need uh-huh. to basically bring up a, a an orioles prospect that can uh, fill us with hope and dreams. And not to mention that uh, Guadzilla basically can buy season tickets for. Uh, we're bringing Ryan Mountcastle up to play shortstop because who doesn't want to get behind a little Mountcastle? You have brought Mountcastle to the top of the mount. Yes. He, to the top of the castle. Wait, I can do this. Anyway, he's, he's up. Yes, All right. he's I, up. I respect that decision. Um, now let's move behind the plate. Sure. All right. My, uh, my, oh, I'm sorry. I owe you a third baseman. Yes. I, I'm terrible at this. I have also chosen to bring somebody up from the minor leagues. Sure. Somebody who has been with us through thick and thin, mostly thick, uh, the way he's built. I'm going to leave El Toro. Oh, nice. Pedro Alvarez as your starting third baseman to bring the brick that is his glove, the swing that is keeping the fans cool. And a uh, little entertainment value. Nice. El Toro plays third base. So I had to think about who I would do for third base, and I basically had to figure out someone who was going to be my super utility player. So I had to figure out someone who could play first, someone who could play second, someone who could play third. This is Wilson Betamid. I'm is, going to throw you out of here. It is Wilson Betamid at third base. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Um, see, Orioles, this is what you do when you're terrible. <laughs> this is what our, our podcast becomes. Uh, Scott, Baltimore yeah. is, a is a town of many historic, important notes. Sure. It, it is a community that, you know, has lived right on the line of the North and the South. It has a, a rich history. One of the pieces of rich history of the state of Maryland is that it was founded as a Catholic colony. Lots of the men and women of the cloth come to Baltimore Oriole games. And so I want them to be entertained, particularly the nuns. And so I have invited back for the 2018 terrible Baltimore Orioles, Nick Hundley to catch Mm. because it is important that those nuns have something to root for. Here's the thing. Uh, catcher you really can't touch much of it so i'm gonna leave caleb joseph there because honestly the girls don't have the balls to trade him basically nice yeah i like what you've done there uh scott one position on the field that's actually not on the field designated hitter yeah so you have already mentioned him pedro alvarez of course has to come up and be the dh i disagree okay i disagree let's go back to entertainment values okay and frankly i'm disappointed in you okay you and i share a twitter account yes and Every Monday night, I lose control of it. Okay. Because somebody gets into the wrestling juice. Oh, hello. And if there's anything that I've learned about 
viewing my own uh, Twitter account yes. on Monday nights. It's that it's important for an organization to depend on its heels oh. for entertainment value, to put butts in seats, and to drive drama. So, Scotty, designated hitter for the Baltimore Orioles, Jose Bautista. Oh, it'd be so good. I'm really disappointed in you. Oh, that'd be so good. But the Blue Jays would never trade him, but that's the only other matter. But What's his contract status? It's just this year. That's what so, I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That's a Possibly. free agent signing, my friend. All right, so... Uh, Can you imagine that? I can't Can imagine. Can you imagine that? Baltimore would burn at that point. <gasps> it's not like it hasn't before. It, oh, my God. <laughs> Send all your hate mail to scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. All right, so you want to do some starting pitching and some really pitchers? I don't know. Are you going to burn the town down? No, no. I'm okay. All right, let's let's go to uh, starters. I, who do you have starting for you? Let uh, You do two, I'll do two. So I need an ace. So, of course, I'm going to go with Jeremy Guthrie as my ace for the, for the team. You shut up. He's on my list. <laughs> Absolutely. Jeremy Guthrie is on my list. Jeremy Guthrie has to become back. You know what? I actually really like that dude. I, I love Jeremy Guthrie, and I know that the whole controversy is with the royal shirt, but honestly... Seems like a really nice and great guy. The thing about Jeremy Guthrie that I fell in love with was he would go and just either pitch a two to one game where he would lose, or you know, ten to two game where he would lose. Those were simpler times, folks. But he would always be accountable. He would be right there for the media, and he would, you know, whenever the team let him down big time, he would talk about the one base runner he let get on. He he was a stand up guy. I really like. All right, let's see if you can get the other starting pitcher. All right, I think that we need someone of substance. Okay. Doesn't matter what that substance is. Sure. And no, this is not a Brian Mattis reference. Um, I think you need to bring back Cabaldo Jimenez. Oh. Because if if the games are gonna get out of hand, they might as well get out of hand in a way with which we are familiar. All right. So, so I, my two pitchers are Guthrie and, and Jimenez. So I did some scouting um this spring. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and I found a a great candidate. Um his name is Bruce Chen. And um <laughs> I think he could be pay some dividends out in the second half of this season. I don't know. He's Almost a has been enough to play on bad Orioles. Yes, teams. exactly. Now here's the thing. Oh no, we're not done. Let me we're not even close to being done. <laughs> let, let me hear uh, your first bullpen guy. So obviously the first bullpen guy that has to come back is Kevin Gregg. <laughs> 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 just to make my blood boil, right? Yes. All right. Don't worry. He's not going to ever get in a game. He just he's going to be the relief pitcher though. Um, mine is my my first relief pitcher is a similar vein. Okay. What if I say? I'm not like the others. Oh, Jim Johnson? Yes. I say you bring back the pretender. Do you realize how good Jim Johnson's been in Atlanta this season? No. I, I pulled no up his stats. He's got like a 3.2 ERA and a 0.8 F4 for uh, for the Braves so far this season. He would be a, a decent um, candidate for the rotation right now. I mean, not the rotation, the bullpen right now. Oh. Right there with Bud Norris. <laughs> Stop. You're making me sad. All right. Who's your other guy in the bullpen? I say my last person I'm going to pay for my relief pitcher is the player to be named later from the Chad Bradford trade. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rockabaco. All right. My second player in the bullpen is somebody. We need somebody in the bullpen that we can depend on. Yes. To be able to follow the script. A man who will know what to do in any given situation. And so I think that the Orioles need to sign back Evan Meek. Because that is a guy that knows how to follow a script. That is a guy that knows how to um, do what needs to be done. <laughs> He's a groovy dude. What can I tell he you? He is a groovy dude. But, Scotty, I don't think that we've dealt appropriately with leadership. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about some of the folks that I think need to be involved in the coaching 
of this horrible team. Sure. And it starts at the top. Okay. And I have the man with just the mustache to ride this team. Is it Rick Dempsey? It is Rick Dempsey, <laughs> manager of your terrible Baltimore Orioles. Of course, it should be Rick Dempsey managing this team. But wait, there's more. Okay. Because we need coaches that can fully embody the spirit of this team that I have assembled without really bringing much value. Okay. And so um, first base coach. Okay. Uh, a guy. We need the opposite of what we have now. Okay. We have uh, an outgoing Rather large gentleman at first base now in Wayne Kirby. So I'm going to invite back Jeff Fiorentino to Ooh, coach first base. Wow. Close second was uh, Brandon Fahey, what about, but I was afraid he would blow up. What about Jeff Rebele? Mm. Also has the mustache to lead this your team. Bra- your brother would be very upset that I brought that name up. Yeah. 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 He's a Jeff Conine guy. Oh, I thought he was a Rebele fan. I th- I should I should have assembled the all mustache uh, coaching staff, yeah. though. Coaching over at third base, okay. bringing some playoff gravitas Ooh. to the club, Lou Ford. Oh, very nice. Just very nice. too old to make my squad. And hitting coach, another man who really needs to inject himself into the uh, into the team, Jay Gibbons. I like it. See, I had Larry Bigby as being the hitting coach. Um, we also didn't cover bench coach, and I think that's an important aspect. So, of course, one of the most important. So I think if we're going to find someone to really um, – bring necessary gravitas and um orioles magic back to the bench we've got to bring jim hunter down to the bench to basically explain how baseball is supposed to be played on a day in and day out basis this is the best team ever (laughs) ever baltimore and beyond what is your one through nine who are your terrible o's if if we have to trade it all away and depend on the future who are your who who is your um Oh nose, your own nose. <laughs> Hashtag oh nose. nose. Spell it however you want, or however you think Scott Van Pelt would spell it. <laughs> and with that, uh, you want to get to a little bit of a deep tracks, Jake? Only if we have to. Well, we don't have to if you don't want to. No, no. If we can make me look bad, let's do it. All right. Yes, folks, it's Jake's favorite, favorite, favorite segment. I love this so much. It's uh, it's Deep Tracks. And um, I've got a great stat aspect discussion after this, Jake, if you... Uh, you might as well just start. Don't, don't want to get this. But uh, I, I'm going to come with this one. Um, it's from 1970. It comes off the album Tumbleweed Connection. We're going to go ahead and see if you can get this one. All right, this is clearly Elton John's voice. It is. But I don't know the song. Okay. It is Come Down in Time. Mm. But I feel like I needed some really sad, melodramatic music, and Elton John really was what I was going with. So I like to talk about barrels, and I like to talk about... Well hit balls because... Oh, I thought you were talking about single barrel because oh, that was how I got through this week. I, I am doing single barrel right now. Um, and I want to talk about Kevin Gossman, who has been one of the worst pitchers in all of Major League Baseball in terms of putting barrels um, into play right there with folks like Matt Moore, uh, Masahiro Tanaka, Matt Shoemaker, Jordan Zimmerman. Um, 
but there was another name on here that um is a bit concerning to me um and it's dylan bundy is right there with kevin gossman uh giving up uh 14 barrels to kevin gossman's 15 this year and i think it comes back to dylan bundy certainly has given up the long ball pretty prevalently um jake i asked you this question are you really concerned about dylan bundy's prevalency for giving up the long ball or do you think it's just the aspect of it happens i think it, it happens to be honest the things that concern me about dylan bundy have nothing to do with that okay you know i'm, I'm still i'm still afraid he's gonna fall apart yep but the thing is the dude has shown that he has the ability to pitch through a, a decrease in velocity sure he went from you know what 97 95 to 91 92 sure and he can pitch through it with enough uh, secondary stuff to make it work and when his fastball command or his secondary stuff isn't working he has something else to go to that can at least get you a passable start the dude's pitching right yeah and we have seen pitchers do well in this team who give up home runs look at way and chen right sure. way and chen gave up the home run and to be honest with you I, I'm, I'm sorry i don't know what he looked like on the barrel standpoint but no the fact that he gets hit hard when he gets hit is fine except that he's turning a lot of those well-hit balls into outs or is surrounding them with enough outs to not make them matter. Right. Here are my concerns. Let's hear them. My concerns are this with Dylan Bundy. He's posting a 6.42 K per nine, which is pretty much right there with Kevin Gossman at 6.10 Ks per nine, which is certainly not very good. Uh, home runs per nine, 1.20. Okay, that's you know about what you would expect. But the BABIP is at 258 right now for Dylan Bundy, and he's only throwing 31.3% ground balls. Everything looking at the number screams um, over succeeding, over succeeding, over succeeding. And looking at his numbers, 3.05 ERA to a 4.31 FIP and a 4.93 XFIP. <sighs> Dylan Mundy is a great story so far. And um, we do enjoy very much watching him pitch on a, on a weekly basis. But I would warn folks of saying this. I don't think Dylan Bundy is quite as good as we want to make him out to be. And I don't think some of these other pitchers that we've been seeing, such as like Kevin Gossman, is truly as bad as what we're seeing as well. I think it's a muddled mess in the middle somewhere. Um, And you know what? That muddled mess may be good enough for this team to succeed. Um, But it's not probably going to be on Dylan Bundy only. I'm gl- I'm glad you you ended there because as you were talking about Dylan Bundy, I I was going to ask which you thought th- which you thought was more likely the fact that Bundy would crash back down to earth or that Gosman would manage to pull himself out of the trench that he's in now. So the big thing that strikes me about Kevin Gosman is just the walks. He has no command of his mm-hmm. pitches right now. He's got a 4.41 uh, walks per nine inning. Um, and yeah, the home runs are a little bit higher, but the walks are what's killing him right now. And the bat right now is around 363. So he's letting a lot of balls stay up in the middle of the plate. If Kevin Gossman can get that feel for his pitches back, I think Kevin Gossman it can turn it around this season and actually post some really solid, decent numbers, which I think I mentioned last week as well. So I have a dumb question. Sure. Barrels. I clearly don't understand the impact. I understand what they are. Sure. Right. But I don't understand the impact of where they fit. It's the context that I think we lack, right? We all know the back of the baseball card. We know what it means for wins and ERA. So a barrel is this. It is a well-struck batted ball with an estimated batting average of above 500 or a slugging above 1.5. So let me ask you this. Right. For context's sake, are there other pitchers in the league who are just getting hammered 
by barrels, but are also killing it in the in the way that they're performing. Because when you look at the eye test, right, the dumb eye sure. test, you say, oh, Dylan Bundy's having a great season. Are there other pitchers out there that are having a great season that also get hammered by the barrel? Uh, Justin Verlander would be one that looks like it was. Uh, and uh, Miguel Gonzalez actually is another one that is a, an interesting name um, from, from the past. As we continue to pay attention to this stat, I'd be interested to see what makes a successful pitcher that sure. can survive the barrel sure. versus unsu- unsuccessful pitchers that can't survive the barrel. And I would bet you money that it's going to come back to um, outfield defense. I would bet you money that if it's a well-hit ball at 95 miles per hour and it's going to potentially be a double, so it's going to be like a gapper potentially, you're going to have to have a really good outfield defense that could potentially get to the gap and get those balls. So pitchers like the ones I'm describing are, are by your estimation, going to have a higher FIP? Uh, technically, no, because barrels isn't in FIP at this point. The only thing that hits FIP is uh, walks and uh, home runs. So FIP would not be the case. There is some other new age statistics is the best way to describe it. But um, we will say that for another time we want to embarrass you with a deep cut. Next week? Yeah, exactly. And with that, let's go ahead and dabble into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. As is our custom, I'm going to go ahead and get started. And Scotty, my good this week goes to Jonathan Scope. And Jonathan Scope gets my good this week. But the thing to keep in mind is that he's been my honorable mention, or the guy who I've just thought was too obvious, for a couple of weeks now. I've heard Trey Mancini being referenced as the quote-unquote lone bright spot in this ugly stretch of games. But I think that Jonathan Scope is finally turning into the player we'd hoped for, right? I I think if the team were performing differently and they were doing well, that Scope being good would be a big deal. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that he is an all-world caliber player. But just looking back at this week, he's done extremely well for himself. He's got a 171 weighted runs created plus. He is striking out a lot, but that is his M.O., And he's also managing to get a few walks. But the thing is, is that he's getting on base and he's making them pay when he puts the bat on the ball. What is that? The high contact to damage ratio? Jonathan Scope's had a really good couple of weeks and he's been a lot of fun to watch. I hear what you're saying. Um, And he's been fun to watch. But you look at Jonathan Scope on the whole and then you compare him to the rest of the league and you're just like, meh. You know, you've got great players such as Jose Altuve, um, Starling Castro, um, Robinson Cano, Ian Kinsler, and Jonathan Scope somewhat gets lost in the shuffle, especially behind a player such as Manny Machado. But you're absolutely right. You look at Jonathan Scope's numbers for the entire season. He's posting 123 weighted runs created plus. Certainly um, a, a, a value that we were not expecting from a Jonathan Scope coming into this season. And to a certain regard, has almost fit that Steve Pierce mold of 2014 of trying to pick up his team when nobody else on his team is doing anything whatsoever. You can't pay all nine guys $400 million 
if you can get B plus value you, out of you can if you're the Yankees, but <laughs> if you can get B plus value out of Jonathan Scope, that's great. I yes. think I, t- I totally agree. Uh, so my good actually is going to have to go to um, Trey Mancini, who yeah. had some absolutely clutch hits this week. Um, it, it literally the only two good things that happened this week were Trey Mancini and Jonathan Scope. So the choices were limited. So needless to say. Well done. I'm picking the other one. And, and I say good on Trey Mancini for forcing himself into the lineup and forcing Buck to keep him there. Absolutely. You know, we we railed against it. Good for, for so far, proving us wrong. Yes. Go. My bad for this week is pitching depth. Yep. And, you know, it's a shame, I think, and we talked about it at the beginning of the season. Uh, it's a shame that the Orioles came into the season looking at what they had on the 25-man roster and thought to themselves, yeah, this is good enough. And And even if you thought that you could supplement with the depth on the 40-man, the this was obviously not good enough. And it's tough to depend on your depth on that 40-man roster if you continually have to go to guys who aren't cutting it because you have no roster flexibility. Right now, you can't do anything about Tillman or Jimenez, right? They are inflexible. You cannot get them off the roster to get somebody back on. And so you have to keep going back to the well of people who so far have just not been good enough. So my bad for this week was the decision that the Orioles made going into the season that, meh, this is good enough. Jake, my bad for the week is going to go to Edwin Jackson, who showed absolutely nothing this week. And again, it wasn't completely surprising that he didn't have much left in the tank, but it was less than nothing. Um, you would at least expect him to maybe give you some innings, um, but he came out and absolutely showed he had no pitching um, style or sequencing or anything that was deceptive whatsoever to Major League Baseball pitching, which almost makes you question to a certain regard what exactly was the scouting department looking at when they off decided to offer him a contract? You know, it's one of those things where it's uh, low risk, and uh, the risk was that he was going to be just like everybody else we had. Yeah. My ugly <clears throat> for this week is uh, not having Orioles baseball to watch. Yeah. Here's the thing. I am uh, I'm moving just across town. I'm moving from Avenue to Bel Air. But we to are- the east side. <laughs> You're home to Bel Air. Um, so we're moving. We're doing a crap ton of work on our house. And I have been spending the last week or so just doing physical labor like an idiot. And so this past weekend in the games with New York, I, I came in from doing whatever it was to check the Orioles score, to sit down and turn it on. And I was like, oh, it's it's six nothing at the end of the first inning. Well, I can um, go back and do some more packing. And then the next day, I came in and sat down and said, oh, it's 5 nothing at the end of the first inning. I can go back out and put another layer of stain on the deck. Okay. It sucks when the games are over before they start. And and you can say, oh, you know, they can come back from that. Yeah, sure. Sure they can. But right now they're playing in a way and against an opponent where it's just not likely. It just sucks to come and watch a game where it's over before it starts. It's just, it's no fun. Jake, my belief for this week is going to go to ostrich syndrome and ostrich syndrome is simply taking your head and burying it in the sand to avoid confronting a difficult problem we talked about this last year going into the playoff race where chris tillman came back and obviously was not the same pitcher as he was um, at the beginning of the season popping up there 91 miles per hour mm-hmm. the wild card game sticks out to me like a sore thumb where he came out there was throwing, you know, at best 90 miles per hour, and the Blue Jays just sat on him. And I come back to the point of he wasn't able to get deep into that game. And by not being able to get deep into that game, 
the rest of the bullpen was hamstrung to a certain regard in terms of what options were available. And yes, I realized that at that game, um, hitting was another issue. But Chris Tillman um, hasn't been himself ever since coming back from that shoulder injury. He went into this offseason, and the Orioles and Chris Tillman decided, you know what, we are not going to pursue surgery because we believe that it's going to get better. Even though all the signs pointed to there was a shoulder injury. The Orioles said, no, it's really not that bad. We're going to rehab it and hope for the best. And what we were left with is coming into spring training where Chris Tillman started on the DL. um, And then we now have a Chris Tillman that is nowhere close to being uh, the pitcher that he previously was. And I would raise the question, I'm not sure if Chris Tillman ever is going to get back to whoever he was. Chris Tillman is entering a point in his career where from an age standpoint, he's going to be hitting that threshold. He's going to be 30 next year, and it is going to be very difficult for him to come back and be an effective pitcher. Look, Chris Tillman was never a great pitcher. Over his career, he's posted a 1.1 F4, a 1.3 F4, a 1.9, 2.3, 1.8, He has been, at best, a meh pitcher, but certainly serviceable for the Baltimore Orioles. Chris Tillman um, may be looking um, at an end of his baseball career if his velocity doesn't come back up. Let me ask you a question. Sure. When a player has an issue like this, how much of it is the team saying, let's try to push through, and how much of it is the player saying, I'm going to contract here, I'm not getting shoulder surgery? Yes and yes. (laughs) I think it's both. I think it's one of the situations where Tillman probably said, I'm not willing to get shoulder surgery going into... Uh, my contract year, but I think the Orioles are like, we really don't want to commit more money to a starter. Let's not do that. Um, and I, I think both parties are at fault is the best way to describe it. Um, that being said, it might have been better for the Orioles to you know still get rid of Giovanni Garardo, but um, the, the Chris Tillman situation, the Orioles knew something was up and they weren't willing to call on it. And even worse of all, um, during the rehab assignments, nothing from those rehab assignments made you think that Chris Tillman was going to be great in terms of velocity and putting up home run upon home run upon home run. Everything screamed, this is going to be a problem. And so far, it's been a, it's been a huge problem. All right. So I agree with much of what you said right there, but I don't agree with your characterization that it's ostrich syndrome because an ostrich sticks its head in the sand, whereas the Orioles have stuck their head. No, I'm good. That's good. Good edit. All right. Well, with that, um, I guess it's time for us to go ahead and um, blow the save. Scotty, blow me some save. So, Jake, I want to talk about the Orioles and quantum physics for a second. You might as well go back to deep tracks, buddy. Jake, are you familiar with the theory of multiverses? I, I am familiar on, on a very surface level. All right. So there is a professor at Griffith University in Australia. Um, his name is Howard Wiseman, who basically took a team of astrophysicists and basically developed this theory um, that says multiple versions of our universe exist and overlap and even interact with one another on a quantum level. So, again, the whole aspect of the multiverses, 
Um, in the mid-20th century, the many worlds theory was speculated. Multiple versions of reality branch out from one another as distinct entities existing in discrete locations. This comes into the whole thing of pop culture aspects of like the butterfly effect and everything like that. Quantum leap. Right, exactly. But the real question is, you know, are these in- instances based off the butterfly effect or are all of them kind of pseudo-interacting and overlapping each other? Um, and this new theory suggests that all these infinite multiple worlds are overlapping and occupying the same region of time and space simultaneously, just like a quantum state. Um, so the experts say that the parallel universes basically inhabit the same physical space as we do. And when they collide, they leave behind these traces within the cosmos, which we can detect. And there's there's physical evidence of this. So looking at the background of echo radiation of microwaves. And slow down and write it down. Yeah. Echo waves. So echoes of radiation of microwave, there exist um, basically these hot spots or unusual holes that could be indicative of a disruption caused by friction with other universes. So I got to thinking, Jake, we're in the season of Orioles baseball where there are two different parallel universes that could happen. Either the Orioles could take off and be this potential playoff team, or as we discussed during our second segment, the Orioles could go on a fire sale and we could be entering the dark times. So Jake... It's a fire sale. I, I, I'm thinking here that we may have two parallel universes rubbing together and the Orioles are basically trying to figure out where they're going to come from this. So continuing on uh, on this given topic, um, the professor that I'd looked into said, indeed, um, the universes inevitably must collide, leaving possible signatures in the cosmic sky that we search for. The exact details of these signatures depend intimately on these models. But nevertheless, since these collisions will occur um, in a particular direction, a general expectation is that signatures will break the uniformity of our observable universe. And these situations can have certain impacts, such as impacts such as gravitational waves, which can ripple through the space time as massive objects pass through it. So, Jake, a part of me believes that um, due to the friction of the um, multiple universes of Orioles, you know, tandem of what our fan base thinks could be happening, I think to a certain regard, we have ripped apart time and space that it is and caused a gravitational wave, which can be the only explanation for why we saw a propensity for the amount of home runs were hit this weekend at Yankee Stadium. You almost had me, Scott. Yeah. But the only rip in the space-time continuum that I am willing to acknowledge is Aaron Judge. Yeah. I think he's responsible for uh, the new singularity that is forming uh, and will rip apart the Orioles universe and reality as we know it. Yeah. You may be right. But it's a theory. We'll see if it pans out. And... uh Anything else you got to add? No, I, I don't think I can go anything else on quantum physics. <laughs> uh, let me let me go through my files here. No, I I have nothing on quantum it, physics. It will be an open book test following the show. I just like that you kept saying friction. Ooh, and that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Bird's Eye View Baltimore dot com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, and you can find this show on bottomersportsbrook.com slash network. And also, check us out on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Now, if there's not a rip in the space-time continuum, you can find this show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and a review. Make sure you mention the multiverses. 
It helps establish what's called a social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. And engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google+, and on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is, of course, on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. Jake, do you think there might be a multiverse out there where Jim Hunter actually is a decent broadcaster? I think there's a multiverse out there where you share this podcast with Jim Hunter. Those would be sad, sad times. That is the darkest podcast. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.